Good morning. It is a pleasure to be here with you today, to worship God together with you all. I've enjoyed the, the service so far. I really appreciate uh, that last song that, that was led and the way that, that Tanner led it for us. Uh, just such a, an uplifting song of praise to our, our loving God in heaven. I'm also looking forward to our, our fellowship meal that we're going to have here in a little bit. And I hope that you all plan on, on sticking around for that and sharing in that time of fellowship with us. Uh, and I just hope that doesn't change after our topic here today. We're continuing our series on faux pas, the acceptable class of sin. Now, I guess uh, the elders or maybe my father-in-law decided that I needed to go on a diet because uh, they assigned me the topic of gluttony. Uh, I guess I can't take it too personally because uh, I wasn't at the meeting where they assigned topics, so I guess that's just what you get when you're not there. Well, I was talking to Michael uh, right before the, the services, and I asked you know, if I was ready, and, and we were kind of talking about the topic. Um, and I, part of my reservation on this topic going into it was the fact that there's not a whole lot in the Bible directly about gluttony. If you did a word search, like in your, in your Bible app, only a few verses mention the word glutton or gluttony. But as I got into the, that study, the study, I found that the Bible does speak a lot about gluttony and the deeper issues associated with that sin. So our task this morning will be to define gluttony, to defy and fight gluttony, and to replace gluttony. A biblical definition of gluttony is the habitual giving in to greedy appetite by overindulging in eating and drinking. Gluttony includes an excess in desire for the pleasure that food and drink give to a person. This unquenchable desire for food is a result of deeper issues of the heart and a lack of self-control. As we will discuss this morning, it's not the food that is evil, it's not the act of eating that is evil, but it's the, the issue of the heart and that selfishness that's inherent in the mindset of filling a void in our life with food rather than filling it with God. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 20 through 21, it says, And they shall say to the elders of the city, This is our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him with stones, so, so you shall purge the evil in your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. You see, God has always taken this sin of gluttony very seriously, to the point that he condemned this fat, lazy, drunk to death. In the same way that, that he wanted the children of Israel to purge the sin from their midst is the same way that we need to purge this sin from our hearts. If we are consumed by the selfish desire to lay around, eat, around the house eating bonbons, 
instead of obeying the will of God and just doing whatever we want, whenever we want, then we too will be put to death. But our death is an eternal one. Our death is the eternal death where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and there's not going to be any food there. A major reason God hates gluttony so much is because it's a form of idolatry. When, we des- when our desire for food and for drink becomes too important to us, then it's a sign that it has become an idol in our lives. And any form of idolatry is a serious offense to God. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, it says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and the glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard it said that, yeah, I've got the body of a god, too bad it's Buddha? <laughs> One way we can see if we're falling into the sin of gluttony and we have made that an idol in our lives is honestly simply by looking in the mirror. Now, that's not to say that you're necessarily sinning by being overweight, but I want you to diagnose yourself and ask yourself if you're putting food in the place of God. And I want you to ask yourself a couple of specific questions. Where do you go for comfort? Where do you go when you are sad or depressed? Where do you go when you're bored? And where do you go when you're stressed? Now, if the answer was food instead of God to any of these questions, then it's a major indication that you have made food an idol in your life. If you're seeking your refuge in food or lusts of the flesh, then you have replaced God with the idol of gluttony, and you have let it take the throne away from your heart. This is my oldest niece, Addison, when she was about eight or nine years old. And she cracked me up because she came downstairs one day, wrapped in her robe, and she grabbed that pint of ice cream from the freezer, sat down on the couch and exclaimed, it's been a long day. Now, first of all, I don't think there's very much stress in the life of a nine-year-old. So where did she learn this? Where did she pick up this mentality? Probably, if I had to guess, television. Because society teaches us to turn towards food and lust of the flesh to release our stress and to find our comfort, which is in direct conflict with what we learn in the Bible, that we are to go to God and to Jesus as our refuge and for our strength. Jesus literally begs us to come to him for these things. And Matthew chapter 23, verse 37 says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is begging us to come to him when we are weak. 
Come to Him when we are stressed. Come to Him when we are sad, alone, or scared. He wants to gather us like a hen gathers her chicks to protect us. But we're not willing. We cast Him aside and we turn to what society tells us we should go to, the lust of the flesh. And we try to fill that void in our lives with food, with drink, or with any kind of pleasure that we might find on this earth. So now we know that gluttony is more than just a minor sin that God doesn't really care about. It's an issue of our heart that has placed the idol of gluttony in the place of God, and then we turn to that for comfort instead of God. Now, what are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? First off, I believe that we need to attack gluttony head on, and we do that through discipline and moderation. In Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 through 3, when you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. But I discipline my body, in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. You see, gluttony is really a result of a lack of discipline. See, we're commanded to be in control of our bodies, not the other way around. We tell our bodies what to do. It doesn't tell us what to do. And if that means holding a knife to our throat to keep from taking another bite of cake, then that's what we need to do. If that means plucking out an eye to keep from sinning, that's what we have to do. And if we have to cut off a hand to keep from sinning, that's what we are commanded to do. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better if you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be cast into hell. See, Jesus is not beat around the bush here. Disciplining our bodies is so serious to God that he advises dismembering ourselves rather than falling into sin. Now, I sincerely hope it doesn't come to that for any of us. So that should really be some motivation to exercise our discipline in our everyday lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. See, we're called to be spiritual athletes, champions that have molded our spiritual body into peak performance so that we can achieve that uncorruptible, eternal crown. Now, I know I've used this analogy before, uh, specifically at an application a couple, couple weeks or months ago, but do you think Tom Brady went to 10 Super Bowls and won seven of them by eating whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, and sitting around the house just watching television? No. The discipline that he has to diet and exercise the way that he does is the main reason he's still playing professional football at the age of 45. And in the same way, we have to discipline ourselves to consume that spiritual food and consist of a spiritual diet of God's word in order to, have, to be the spiritual athletes that we need to be. One of the ways that we can exercise discipline is through moderation. 
as I mentioned before, the, it's not the food itself that's evil. And it's not even the act of eating that's evil or even eating to excess. It's eating to excess excessively. So we have to use discipline and moderation to enjoy a feast from time to time as long as we aren't abusing that privilege, a privilege and that we're not replacing God. In Exodus, God commanded the children of Israel to, to observe some feasts, three specifically, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Harvest, and the Feast of Ingathering. Now, all of these had specific religious purposes to remind the children of Israel about different things that God had done for them, but it just goes to show you that there is a time to feast. Our modern-day equivalent in our society would be Thanksgiving. Now, that's a, that's a time, a feast, that we have set aside specific time to celebrate our family and our blessings. It's okay to have Thanksgiving once a year, and it's okay to, to celebrate a birthday or a wedding or a, an anniversary, as long as it's not every day, and as long as we're not abusing it and replacing God, and we're not lusting after those things. Jesus himself can be used as an example of moderation. In Luke chapter 7, verse 33 to 34, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. See, Jesus was perfect in every way, and he was completely without sin. There is no way that he was a glutton or a drunk. Therefore, the act that he ate bread and that he drank wine indicates there is an acceptable level of eating and drinking that does not cross over into sin. Like Jesus, we must use moderation and discipline in all things, especially when it comes to our food. Now, if you cannot take a drink without getting drunk, you should not drink. And if you cannot eat a meal without stuffing yourself, you probably shouldn't go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. We have to utilize that discipline and moderation to enjoy our food, but being able to cut it out completely if we need to. We see an example of this with Jesus when he's led into the wilderness to be tempted. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, it says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we have a hard time going 40 minutes without food sometimes. Can you imagine going 40 days without it? We need to have that same discipline as Jesus. So like I said, enjoy our food in moderation, but having the mental and spiritual strength to cut it out completely uh, if we need to, and especially for, for a time of fasting. You see, fasting can be a very valuable tool in fighting the, the sin of gluttony. We can use fasting or abstaining from food for spiritual reasons to focus on our spiritual growth. Since fasting is pretty much the exact opposite of gluttony on every single level, physically, spiritually, emotionally, fasting is the exact opposite of gluttony. Because we are depriving ourselves from the pleasure of eating. 
So, you know, we might diet or abstain from food for a lot of physical reasons. We might say, I want to look good, or I want to feel better. I want to get in shape so that my back doesn't hurt. I want to fit into that new dress. Whereas fasting, we're abstaining from, fruit, from food for those spiritual reasons. Like, I want to be good. I want to be closer to God. When we fast, we're denying our most basic desire for food and saying, God, you are more important to me than food. I don't need to eat. I need to focus on your word and your will in my life. See, if we learn to control our most basic desire for food, then we will develop that self-control to have discipline in every facet of our lives and control our body and tell it what to do rather than the other way around. You see, gluttony is essentially a very selfish act. It's inherently very selfish, saying that I only want what I want. I want to eat as much as I feel like eating. And so we fight that and get it out of our lives, and then we must replace it with the Word of God, with prayer, with selfless acts of service. If we are tempted with the sin of gluttony, we need to remind ourselves and remind Satan that man does not live by bread alone. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45, it says, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came, and when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. You see, it's one thing to kick gluttony out of your heart or to kick any sin out of your life. But if we don't replace it with something, then there's nothing keeping it from coming back with a vengeance and bringing its buddies along with it. So in order to keep that from happening, we have to fill that hole, we have to fill our heart with godliness. The void in our lives that we used to fill with food has to be filled with God's will. And we do that by nourishing ourselves on the bread of life. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what we need to be feasting on. That's what needs to be our food is doing the will of of God. Jesus speaks extensively on the bread of life in John chapter 6, verses 26 through 68. Now, for time's sake, we're not going to read that entire uh, passage, but we are going to pull out some key, some key scriptures uh, for our study this morning. Now, I do encourage you to, to look up these verses when you get home this evening and take a deep dive into this section to get more context for what we're going to talk about. But these verses are pulled out specifically for our, uh, our purpose this morning. Beginning in John chapter 26, verses 27 to 39, 29, it says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, that you believe in him who he has sent. Now, just before these remarks uh, of Jesus, we read about the miracle of feeding of the 5,000. And right before this, he rebukes the crowd that's following him because he sees into their heart 
and he sees that they're only following him because he fed their bellies. Now, as we've discussed, Jesus calls us to pursue spiritual growth that prepares us for eternity rather than focusing on the, the pleasure that perishes immediately. So the first step in doing that is believing in Christ and believing in his mission. Continuing in verses 33 through 36. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Now, do you ever finish a big meal and, you know, sit back in your chair, maybe undo your belt or a couple buttons and say, man, I am so full. I am not going to eat for a week. Or I'm never going to eat again. Usually, a couple of sentences later, we're going to say, so, what do you want to do for dinner? And I'll be the first to admit that me and my family are not the lightest bunch of individuals, and it's really not uncommon for us to be on a family vacation or some sort of family gathering where we're making our lunch and dinner plans while we're eating breakfast. Because no matter how much we eat, we're going to be hungry again. No matter how much we drink, we're going to be thirsty again. No matter how much pleasure we pursue on this earth, we will never be satisfied. See, we have to replace those desires with a belief in Christ that will fill us for eternity. And finally, in, in verses 66 through 68, we read that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Jesus loses a lot of followers because of this issue. We want to believe in Jesus, but we only stick around while it's convenient. And as soon as we have to make some sacrifices, as soon as we have to go a little bit hungry, we just simply abandon him. We need to have the same response that Peter had when he said, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Truth is, we don't need all that food we want to eat. We don't need all those fancy clothes we want to wear. We don't need to go to all those baseball games we want to go to. We only need Jesus. He can fill the hole in our heart that no amount of ice cream will ever fill. And the ways that we, we fill ourselves on the bread of life is by talking to God in prayer and listening to him through his word. I love the way that the psalmist puts it here in the 119th Psalm, verses 11 through 18. He says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. See, I love the way that this is worded because it, it demonstrates the attitude that we're supposed to have 
toward the Word of God, that we should be longing for it always, and that we should be storing it in our hearts, and that we should be delighting in His law. But do we truly do that? Do we store His Word in our heart? Is our heart filled with His commandments and statutes? Because if it is, there will be no room for gluttony or sin to creep back into our lives. And of course, communication is a two-way street. We need to be talking to our Father in prayer uh, to keep those open lines of communication. In Ephesians 6, 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean to literally be on our hands and knees praying 24-7. But what it's talking about is having the mindset of prayer. That we always have those open lines of communication with our Father in heaven. So that when we are stressed, when we are depressed, when we are scared, we can freely and openly go to him and lay those burdens at his feet and seek comfort in him rather than food. You see, one of the most common themes that's, that we've seen throughout this series is the fact that most of, if not all, of these faux pas are inherently selfish conditions. It's, I want what he has, or I want more money, or I want more bacon. A way we can replace that desire is by filling our time and using our energy on acts of service. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, it says, If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. See, selflessness is over and over again demonstrated by Jesus and commanded by him. In fact, he tells us that he came to serve not to be served. And he washed his disciples' dirty feet the night before he was crucified for their sins. We need to demonstrate that same mindset and be like Jesus, showing acts of service out to the world. We need to have acts of service towards our neighbor, whoever that is, whether it's a brother and sister in Christ, whether it's a stranger down the street, or even if it's our enemies. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9-11, through 11, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, I just want to leave you with one more passage and a warning. In James 5.5, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. See, we live in a society and a nation where we can have anything and everything we could possibly want, usually right at our fingertips. See, if we struggle with gluttony, 
we can have as much food as DoorDash can deliver to our front door. If we have a problem with greed and with possessions, then we can have any product we want at our front door tomorrow with Amazon Prime. We are blessed in so many ways to live in the country that we do, but that blessing can easily turn into a curse if we allow gluttony, greed, and selfishness control our lives. Because you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. I hope you have a better understanding of gluttony this morning, and I hope that you realize that it's not just a, a minor sin that, that God doesn't really care about, and that it's an issue of your heart that has placed an idol in the place of God that we turn to for our strength and for our comfort. It's a form of selfishness where we only care about our own desires and feeding our own appetites rather than looking to the needs of others. We must confront this sin with discipline and moderation and replace it with godliness by filling our hearts with prayer, his word, and acts of service. As we conclude this morning, I want you to literally look in the mirror and ask yourself if you have fallen into the sin of gluttony. Have you fallen into the sin of selfishness and idolatry? If you've been convicted this morning and you need assistance from the congregation, the leadership is ready to assist you at the front row as we stand and sing the song of invitation.